This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight's entertainment with Boston Blackie. First, a little bit about how this old-time radio show came to be. Writer Jack Boyle grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and while working as a newspaper reporter in San Francisco, he became an opium addict and was drawn into crime, jailed for writing bad checks. Later convicted of robbery, Boyle was serving a term in San Quentin when he created the character of Boston Blackie. Now, as I've mentioned on previous airings of this show, it must have been a surreal moment for Jack Boyle when, from his cell in San Quentin, watch a guard walk to his cell with a paper in his hand that read, Your book is going to be published. Well, first of all, just dealing with the difficulties of trying to write while surrounded by the din and the noise, or indeed lack of noise, as he scribbled his musings on paper that must have been acquired from a guard or some other person in authority in San Quentin. Mind you, being in a close proximity to other prisoners must have been great fodder for him as well. The first four stories appeared in the American Magazine in 1914, with Boyle writing under the pen number, uh, number 6066, his cell number. From 1917 to 1919, Boston Blackie stories appeared in the Red Book Magazine, and from 1918, they were adapted for motion pictures. When Boston Blackie began to find success on the screen, Boyle edited the Red Book magazine stories into a book, just entitled Boston Blackie. That was published in 1919. He revised and rearranged the order of the stories to create a cohesive narrative, a common practice at the time known as publishing as a fix-up. Now, this was the only appearance of Boston Blackie in book form, but his adventures continued to appear in periodicals. The earliest Boston Blackie film adaptations were silent, dating from 1918 to 1927. Columbia Pictures revived the property in 1941 with Meet Boston Blackie, a fast 58-minute B-movie starring Chester Morris. And although the time was brief, Columbia gave the picture good production values and an imaginative director, Robert Flory. The film was successful, and the series followed. Now, in the uh, Columbia features, Boston Blackie is a reformed jewel thief who's always suspected when a daring crime is committed. In order to clear himself, he investigates personally and brings the actual culprit to justice, sometimes using disguises. An undercurrent of comedy runs throughout the action detective series, and concurrent with the Columbia Pictures Films, a Boston Blackie radio series, also starring Chester Morris, aired on NBC in 1944 as a summer replacement for Amos and Andy. A new incarnation of Boston Blackie radio series aired, uh, aired April of 1945 to October of 1950, starring Richard Colmar, 
the star of tonight's show, as a matter of fact. Colmar, well, he was an American stage, radio, film, and television actor, and a Broadway producer, too. He was the husband of journalist Dorothy Kilgallen, a name that would be familiar to those of you who watch the television show, What's My Line? Let's uh, get to tonight's presentation of Boston Blackie. It's called Poetry in My Soul. feel a hunk of poetry coming on. Well, let it go right by, will you, Joe? Oh, no, I can't. I got poetry in my soul, I guess. Oh. Get this, Carter. Here I lie on a rooftop high, waiting till I see a guy. Come out of City Hall across the street, and then I'll plug him nice and neat. <laughs> it smells. How do you want it? With music? Yeah, loud music. Loud enough to drown it out. <laughs> Sure wishes honor and company would trace out of City Hall, though. Getting sore elbows lying up here on this roof. Oh, they'll be out pretty soon. All of them will. That meeting in the mayor's office was supposed to be over at noon. It's a quarter after already. Got your rifle set? I'm ready. You? My fingers itchier than poison ivy. <laughs> oh, Carter, I feel a hunk of poetry coming out. I think this is the last job we'll do together. Now shut up, will you? A rooftop is no place for poetry. It's a nice place for a sunbath, though, huh? What? I like to lie in the blazing sun. Until on one side, I am done. What? And then I flip on my other side and tan the rest of my little hide. Oh, brother, somebody (laughs) should have tanned your hide a long time ago. Your stuff gets worse every time. Well, how do you want it? With a choir? Yeah, a choir. A choir of angels hoisting you into heaven. Oh, God. Now, check the side of that rifle. All right. Never used one of these telescopic jobs before. Uh, listen, I'll be able to ping this guy with my eyes closed. Hey, Carter. Yes? It's the mayor. Yeah. Got guys with him, too. Easy. Wait till our man's in the clear. Hey, they're bunched up like a clump of grapes. Wait, wait. What for? A cinch from here. Wait, I said. Hey, they're splitting up at the bottom of the steps. Only one guy near him. Wait. Wait. Now. And now on to Dick Calmer as Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friends. Faraday, I'm Williams, 23rd Precinct. Hello, Williams. Had a little shooting here, huh? A big one, Inspector. It's Mayor Rogers. Mayor Rod? Is he dead? Bullet in the heart, one through the head, Inspector. The mayor. Nobody told me it was the mayor. This is all I need. Hey, move away. Yeah, move away. Just... Oh, I count up a bullets, too. Keep everybody back. Clear the sidewalk if they don't stay back. Uh, Williams, Williams, any witnesses? Yes, sir. There were several men with him when he got it, but no one knows where the shots came from. No one even heard of them. Yeah, that's not good. 
How was he standing when he was hit? The men with him all agree he had his back to the street. Uh-huh. He's hit in the back of the head. I can see from the wounds the bullets entered in a downward direction. Williams, those shots came from the roof of that building across the street. Well, no one knows where they came from. I do. Uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this by getting to the top of that building. Uh, anyhow, Boston Blackie would say it that way. Probably. Oh, Blackie's really going to burn at this. This is one time I figured something out before he's even shown up at the scene of the crime. Mary, I told you if we came up to the roof of this building, we'd find where those shots were fired from. Here are two exploded rifle shells. Oh, I don't know how you knew it, Blackie. I saw the commotion and everything in front of City Hall at the same time that you but did. But, Mary, did you see anyone running away or hear anyone yelling, Stop! No, no, I didn't. Well, that's how I knew the shots came from up here. They certainly couldn't come from any of the offices in this building. They didn't come from the street. They didn't come from City Hall, because no one is going to use a rifle to shoot a man in the back from so short a distance. Well, all right, but I still don't see why you chose this rooftop. There are other buildings in the block. This is the only one with a clear view of the steps and doors into City Hall, obviously. Oh, man. That's the room up here, oh. man. Okay, Chief. I'll guarantee you'll find proof that shots were fired from up here. Blackie, it's Inspector Faraday. I heard. Hello, Faraday. Oh, Blackie. Beat it. The short way. Jump off the roof. I'm sorry, Faraday. I do it for you, but I have Mary. Now, use her for ballast. Now, beat it. I don't want you annoying me as usual. Annoying? Well, now, how can you say that? How can I? I'm admiring the view of the city. Of course, I've also figured that this is the place from which Mayor Rogers was shot. So you figured that, too? Of course. Mayor Rogers was shot from up here. Here are two exploded rifle shells, 30 caliber. I'm surprised you're here, but congratulations. You're almost as smart as I am. You're smart, huh? Just because you know those shots came from up here. Well, what help is that? Doesn't prove who murdered Rogers, or why. Find out why someone would want to kill the mayor, and you'll have the someone who killed him, Faraday. And if you need any help, call on someone like me. Hello? Hello? Hello, Johnson. Harry Johnson. This is Johnson speaking. Well, this is Martin. Rex Martin. Oh, yeah. Yes, your favorite business rival. Uh, you were with the mayor when he was shot, weren't you? Yes. Well, I just thought I'd... Uh, well... Call up and tell you things are going to be different from now on. A lot different. Are they? You ought to know they are. Times have changed. I don't think so. You're hard to convince, aren't you, Johnson? Maybe. I've got a little logic some friends of mine are arranging that you're going to find very easy to understand and very hard to argue against. I wish you'd let me fix you something to eat. You didn't touch your dinner. I'm sorry, Anne. I can't think of eating. I keep seeing Mayor Rogers being shot down not two feet away from me. And that phone call I got from Rex Martin today, I know, I... darling. I, I know you're terribly upset about the mayor, but... But think, darling. It might have been you. I almost wish it had been. Oh, maybe it's, it's the weather that's making you so depressed. It's cleared now, but we practically had a cloudburst until an hour ago, and... You know how low you get when it rains. Don't look for excuses for me, darling. I'll be all right if I can... Oh, will you answer the door, dear, please? I'm going out in the backyard a minute. All right. I hope this isn't company, Anne. I just couldn't face anyone tonight. If it's company, I'll be back to see to it that they won't stay long. Thanks. Yes? Are you Harry Johnson? 
Yes? Well, uh, we got something for you, Johnson. What? A present? How do you want it? With mustard and pickle lily? Johnson, where were you when your husband went to this door? Oh, I, I'd just gone out in the backyard, Inspector Faraday. Out in the yard? Uh, doing what? Well, I went to see if the wash was dry. I see. Uh, did you... Oh, Inspector Faraday. Yes, Sergeant. I just talked to the man from next door. He didn't see anyone around at the time of the shooting, sir. That's fine. Nobody saw anything or anyone. Mrs. Johnson here claims she was out in the backyard. Yes, I was. That's right, she was, Inspector. The man next door says he saw her out there at the time he heard shots. Thanks, Sergeant. Oh. Yes. Well, Mrs. Johnson, that bears out your story. Sorry I had to question you. That's quite all right, Inspector. I, I understand everything. Mm. Well, if you do, you're the only one around here who does. <laughs> There's the city recorder's office at the end of the hall, Mary. Uh, Blackie, I hope you find what you're looking for. I think I will. Mayor Rogers was obviously shot by accident by the same person who later shot Johnson. That's why the bullet hit the mayor in the back of the head. He probably walked over to Johnson just as the gunman fired. But why was anyone gunning for Johnson? Because he was going to get a contract someone else wanted. If you know what you're talking about, and you usually do. I'm sure I know what I'm talking about this time, Mary. Well, here we are. Okay. Oh. Place looks empty. There's a guy in the back of the room there. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to find out all about a man named Rex Martin. I know he was Johnson's business rival. Blackie, if Rex Martin was in line for a big contract that you think Mr. Johnson was going to get, you're not going to be very happy. Johnson was going to get the contract all right, and Martin may have wanted to stop him. Oh, you, uh, may I see you for a minute? Sure. What can I do for you? I want to find out something about a contract. Sorry, mister, I'm not... Uh, This is important. I think it has some bearing on the Johnson murder case. I can't help you, mister. Look, all I want to do is to see the last city contract. That's private city business, mister, and none of yours. Look, son, there's no such thing as private city business. Rex Martin wanted that big contract, but Johnson was getting it, wasn't he? I'm not going to talk, mister. Um, maybe you don't understand. I'm Boston Blackie. Blackie? Well, why didn't you say so? Hello? Hello, Carter. This is Joe. Oh, yeah, Joe. Did you get the money? Part of it. And, uh, Carter, I feel a hunk of poetry coming on. Never mind the poetry. Come on up here with that dough, will you? Okay, I'll be right up. Uh, nobody's around. What difference does it make if anybody's around? Nobody saw us get the mayor. Nobody saw us kill Johnson. We don't have anything to worry about. You sure? Positive. The cops got the only worries. Oh, boy. I gotta laugh. Yeah. The cops have the answer to everything right under their noses. But they'll never know it's there. Yeah, that's right. You know something, Joe? What? I feel so good, I could even listen to some of your lousy poetry. Okay, then listen. Yeah? Whenever I think of the racket we're in, I close my eyes and I just gotta grin. Yeah? Maybe we're nuts, but we sure have fun killing two birds for the price of one. (laughs) Blanky, can't you find a better place to loaf than in my office? Now beat it. 
Can't you understand? The mayor's been murdered. What's the matter with you, Faraday? Why don't you listen to me and pick up Rex Martin? He's the answer to this thing. What am I going to pick him up with? Radar? <laughs> He's out of town. He won't be back till tomorrow. And I don't have any reason to pick him up. What's he got to do with this? You get a look at the last city contract and you'll have a reason. I looked for it at the recorder's office and couldn't find it. Yeah. I'll bet anything that was going to Harry Johnson. And I know Martin's been trying for years to get a big city job. So when Johnson was due to get the contract, Martin had Johnson killed. Yeah, what about the mayor? Martin kill him too? Uh, Blackie, stop trying to confuse me. Faraday, the mayor was killed by mistake. Look, ask Mrs. Johnson if her husband wasn't set for a big contract. She doesn't know anything about anything. She was at home when her husband was killed, wasn't she? She was out in the backyard. A neighbor saw her. She went out to see if her wash was dry. She's no help. Neither are you. That's what you think. What? I'm going to see Rex Martin when he gets back to town tomorrow. And then this case will be closed as tight as your mind. From a rooftop, a gunman named Carter and his partner Joe shoot and kill Mayor Bob Rogers as he walks out of City Hall with friends. Later, the same two men murder Harry Johnson, who was with the mayor at the time of the assassination. So far, neither Boston Blackie nor the police have any clue to the identity of the killers or reason why Johnson was killed. The mayor, obviously, was murdered by accident. As we return to our story, Carter and his friend Joe are in their hideout. Come on, Joe, come on. Tell me how much you got for killing Johnson. Carter, I feel a hunk of poetry coming out. Never mind your poetry. How much did you get? I told you, a thousand deposit. I thought we were getting 15 grand. We got one. The rest later. I don't believe it, Joe. Now, wait a minute. Now, look, you're holding out of me. And so help me if you want. Now, take it easy, Carter. You can bust bones grabbing a guy like that. And the bones will be in your neck if I ever found out that you... Uh-uh. All right, let me go, stupid. Go answer the door. Take this up later. Anytime you like. Go on the door. Okay, okay. Hello, Mr. Carter. Oh, Mrs. Johnson. Come in. Thank you. Joe, take off your hat. There's a lady present. Yeah, yeah, I know the lady. You like the job we did on your husband, huh? It was quite satisfactory. How about the police, Mrs. Johnson? Have you had much trouble with them? None at all, Mr. Carter. They asked me a few questions, but outside of that, nothing. They can't possibly suspect. Well, I sure hope not, lady. If you get caught, we don't get the rest of our dough. You'll get the rest of your money as soon as my husband's insurance policy pays off. Oh, that's why we only got a thousand so far. When does the company pay, Mrs. Johnson? Well, it shouldn't take more than a few days. By the way, I heard arguing just before I came in. What's the matter? Oh, Carter here thinks I held out some of the advance you gave me. He claims it was only a thousand. I say it was more... It was two. Oh, two, huh? Now, now wait, Carter. Well, what do you know, Joe? Uh, Carter, I... Come here. <laughs> okay, Carter, it was two grand. I'll, I'll give you your half. You can't blame a guy for trying, now, can you? You're not going to be able to try any longer, Carter. Carter, Joe, no fighting. Yeah, no We've fight. done beautifully so far. Everything's perfect. Let's not spoil it. I'd like to spoil that guy's kiss. Oh, no, no don't fight you two. That's a mistake. You've made a slight error already. Killing a man? Yes. We made up for it, didn't we? Yes. Now suppose you make up with Joe. The next mistake may not be so easy to correct. How 
much longer do I have to wait to see Mr. Martin, Miss, uh, Miss Beautiful? Thank you, Blackie. And the name is Joanne. And the phone number? My husband doesn't like me to give it out. I'll just write that. Huh? Well, that's different. And may I use this telephone here to make a call while I'm waiting for Mr. Martin? Of course. There's one on the desk there. I'll give you an outside line. Thank you, uh, Mrs. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. How long have you worked for Rex Martin? About a year. Lucky Martin. <laughs> Faraday speaking. Hello, Faraday, old pal. This is Blackie. Don't old pal me. Okay, old pal, I won't. Instead, I'll old pal Rex Martin. Rex Martin? Why don't you leave him alone? Faraday, I've told you I know just why Johnson was killed, and Rex Martin is it. Sure. And I'm the queen of the May. Well, look, Queenie. Johnson was killed by someone working for Rex Martin because Martin wanted a city contract that Johnson got, or was going to get. I told you that. Now I'll prove it. Oh, Blackie, Mr. Martin will see you now. Yeah, thanks, Joanne. I'll call you back in five minutes, Faraday, because I'll prove Johnson took a contract away from Martin and sew up your case for you when it won't take longer than that. This way, Blackie. Thank you. Mr. Martin, Mr. Boston Blackie. Come in, Blackie. That'll be all, Joanne. Yes, sir. Sit down, Blackie. No, thanks. I'd rather stand. Martin, uh, are you in the habit of killing all your business rivals? What? What did you say? You heard what I said. (laughs) Yes, I did. But I'm afraid you're in the wrong office. Or am I? You're the head of the wrong company, Martin. The company that didn't get a big city contract it wanted. Am I? You know you are. Johnson's company got it, or was about to get it. That's why you had it killed. I checked at City Hall and found out you and Johnson were bidding for the same job. That's right. We were. And Johnson got it. So you sent a gunman or two to give him something else while you were out of town. You base your assumptions on that contract, do you, Blackie? Certainly. With him out of the way, the contract would be yours. I see. Blackie, take a look at this. Hmm? Here's the contract Johnson and I were bidding for. And I got it. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Two days ago. The day before he was killed. The shop I want is the next block, Blackie. Yes, Mary, I know. You're really upset about this case, aren't you? The case is upset, too. Something funny about this somewhere. I don't know what it is. Martin's not the man I want. Maybe your reasoning's been all wrong. Maybe. I know it's been all wrong. Now, here's your shop. Thanks. Pick me up later? Mm Mm-hmm. When? Oh, in about uh, about an hour. I don't take as long to pick out a hat as you think. A hat again? Yes. What's wrong with the bonnet you bought the day Johnson was shot? I didn't buy one that day. It was raining cats and dogs. Remember? Oh, yes, of course. Well, I'll be... Mary, I've got it. You've just solved this case. I have. It wasn't only raining cats and dogs that day. It was raining clues. And I've been all wet for not figuring what happened till now. Coming. Yes? Are you Mrs. Harry Johnson? Yes, I am. I'm Walter Keith from the National Insurance Company. Oh, yes. Come in. Thank you. Well, I've been expecting you. I imagine you have. I, uh, I hope I haven't called too soon after your husband's unfortunate death. Oh, no, it, it's quite all right. I know these things have to be taken care of right away. Yes, yes, they do. But, uh, sometimes there are rather long delays. Long delays? 
What for? Red tape, Mrs. Johnson. I'm afraid it'll be six months before you receive the benefits of your husband's policy. Six months? I won't stand for that. I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson. But the company wants to investigate a little bit. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, I'll do something about it. Six months, Mrs. Johnson. And there may be a further delay beyond that. I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson, but that's the case. Oh, no, it's not. I've been told to advise you that it is. Goodbye. Six months. Six months. Well, I'd better call... Oh, what's the matter with this phone? That's funny. It's dead. Operator... Operator? Operator? Operator! Hello? Mary, this is Blackie. Oh, hello, Blackie. Well, how did Mrs. Johnson take the news about her insurance? <laughs> the same way she'd take a dose of medicine. She didn't know me, I'm sure of that. Only I hope my plan works. Oh, certainly a long shot, Blackie. But it's worth a try. She had to come into the store to use the phone any minute now. I hope so. I think she'll be here. She hired someone to kill her husband. She probably has to collect her insurance to make the payoff. So she'll have to report what I told her, but the payoff will be delayed. Maybe yes, maybe no. Well, there's no maybe about her using the phone at her house. I cut the wires before I went in, and she wouldn't dare use a neighbor's phone to call a killer. This is the nearest phone, and I am at... Oh, here she comes now, Mary. In fact, she's going into the booth next to mine. It's the only other one. I'll call you back later. You mean much later, too, I know. Well, I hope you hear what you want to hear. Well, if she's making the call, I think. I think Faraday and I will be making a call ourselves. Carter, I feel a hunk of poetry coming out. Oh, say it, will you, Joe? Keep packing. I'm packing. Gotta get out of here fast. Oh, Carter, I don't think the dame's double-crossing us. Maybe she can't get the insurance, though, for six months. Well, if she can't, it's because the case is going to be investigated. We're not going to be around when it is. Ah, you Come on, let's go out of here. Uh-oh. See who it is. Okay. But don't open that door too much. You think I'm a dope? <laughs> okay, you open the door all the way. They're coming in. Carter, I think it's cops. Shut up, Blackie. I'm shoving for her. Carter, help me. Oh, no, I'm getting out of here. Not without me, you wouldn't. Stand right where you are. I think we'll have to convince him with a little noise, Party. Okay. Okay. I know you'll take better aim on the next shot. I'm through. We quit. Smart boy. Well, Friday, here are your two killers. Glad to see you. Carter, I think these guys are suffering from a case of mistaken identity. Oh, shut up, Joe. The mistake is all yours, Carter. Yours too, Joe. Mrs. Johnson talk. Oh, yeah? You know you shot and killed Mayor Rogers and Mrs. Johnson's husband. So come on. I'm through with this case. And you're through for good. Rain, rain, go away. Little Mary wants to go out and buy a new hat. Mm, I hate rain. <laughs> you hate it. Imagine what Mrs. Johnson thinks of it. Blackie, how long did it take her before she confessed? Oh, not long. As soon as I told her she couldn't have gone out in the yard to see if the wash was dry, because it had just stopped raining. Well, that broke her down. All she wanted to do was have an alibi for the time that her two hired killers shot her husband. And when her neighbor saw her in the yard at the time the shots were fired, she was in the clear. She thought. How did you find the two killers, Blackie? You never told me. Well, it was Mrs. Johnson's phone call to Carter that led me to them. 
When I heard the number she called, Faraday took it from there. From the phone number, Faraday got the address, oh. and it was easy. <laughs> you think that that was a stroke of genius, don't you? Oh, the stroke of genius was the idea to cut the wires to her phone at home. Oh. I had to force her to call Carter from a phone where I could hear her talking. But it really wasn't such a clever stunt. Mm. No, I wouldn't brag about that. Well, I want to do a little bragging. I gave you the hint about the rain when I didn't buy my hat the day of the murder. <laughs> yes, you did, Mary. You know, one of the characters in this case had a yen for poetry. You know how he'd sum up this case? How? It rained, and so you got no hat. That's true, and there's no bosh. Yes. But the rain broke down an alibi. It all came out in the wash. Oh, oh Blackie. <laughs> Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. They worked together as a successful comedy team that entertained vaudeville, film, radio, and television audiences for over 40 years. The duo met in 1922 and married in 1926. Burns wrote most of the material and played the straight man. Allen played a silly, addle-headed woman, a role often attributed to the dumb Dora stereotype that was common in early 20th century vaudeville comedy. Early on, the team had played the opposite roles until they noticed that the audience was laughing at Gracie's straight lines. So they made the change. In later years, each attributed their success to the other. The Burns and Allen team was not an overnight success. Burns said... We were a good man and woman act, but we were not headliners or stars or featured attractions. We were on the bill with them. There would be a star or two stars and a featured attraction, and then we would come, fourth billing in an eight-act show. Their career, however, changed direction when they made their first film. In the early days of talking pictures, the studios eagerly hired actors who knew how to deliver dialogue or songs. The most prolific of these studios was Warner Brothers. Burns and Allen earned a reputation as a reliable disappointment act, someone who could fill in for a sick or otherwise absent performer on a moment's notice. And so it went until their film debut. Paramount Pictures used its East Coast studio to film New York-based stage and vaudeville stars, Eddie Cantor, Fred Allen, Ethel Berman, among the top acts seen on the Paramount shorts. Burns and Allen joined the Paramount roster in 1930 and made a string of one real comedies through 1933, usually written by Burns. Burns and Allen's radio show was inducted into the National Hall of Fame in 1994. Their TV series received a total of 11 Primetime Emmy Award nominations, 
and produce what TV Guide ranked number 56 on its 1997 list of the 100 greatest episodes of all time. And they were inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1988. And now the episode George the Doctor, which was first broadcast in 1949. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George. Sure, pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last. <laughs> That drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Toby Reed, B. Benadaret, Lois Corbett, Joseph Kearns, Lou Merrill, Harry Lubin, and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and Bill Goodwin. For America's Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for America's everyday coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. Always good to the last drop. <laughs> Well, if any new fad comes along, you may be sure that Gracie will fall for it. Her latest enthusiasm is handwriting analysis. And we find her now telling her friend Blanche Morton all about it. I tell you, Blanche, it's absolutely uncanny. This man can tell you all about yourself just by looking at your handwriting. You don't say. Yes. All I did was send him my signature and he told me the most intimate things. What did he tell you? He said, you are a woman. No. Yes. That's all he tells you for a dollar. Then you send in more money and he tells you more. Gracie, if you ask me, this handwriting expert is a charlatan. Yeah, isn't he wonderful? (laughs) I mean, you shouldn't send him any more money. Oh, but wait till you hear what happened when I sent him George's handwriting. He analyzed it and decided that George shouldn't be in radio. I was wrong. Send him more money. (laughs) Oh, I will. He said George's writing showed that he had the delicate, sensitive hands of a surgeon. A surgeon? Uh Uh-huh. That's a doctor who wears a mask and carries a knife. (laughs) Thanks. Just think, George is a surgeon and doesn't know it. Blanche, are you busy this morning? No, why? Would you let George operate on you just to get the feel of it? just suddenly become a doctor. It'd be years before George could open up an office. Well, I don't care about an office. I want him to open up people. (laughs) I mean he has to study to become a doctor. Well, that won't take George long. His natural instinct is to be a doctor. He's only stayed in show business because he had to give me a job. That's the only reason he's in show business. (laughs) What? It's true. I've heard dozens of people say, if it weren't for Gracie, George wouldn't be in show business. (laughs) Yes, but what they meant was... No, it's my fault, Blanche. My fault that George isn't the doctor. So it's up to me to release his natural instinct. And you can help me. He's not going to carve on me. (laughs) Uh Oh, I hear him coming down for breakfast. Now, when he walks in, you act like a patient and we'll see how he reacts. Stick out your tongue and all that. Well, I'll do it, but it's silly. Here he is. Good morning, dear. Oh, hello, Blanche. George, take a good close look at Blanche. Before breakfast? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh... 
Well, and right back to you. George, Blanche did that to show you how she feels. Well, I feel the same way about her. Don't you think she looks a little peaked? Yes, her head is very peaked. Give him, give him another look, Blanche. Uh... What do you think she should take? Arsenic. Write that down, Blanche. I told you this was silly, Gracie. I'll see you later. What kind of a routine was that? Well, did it, did it stir something deep inside of you? Yeah, but I'm going to try to eat anyway. <laughs> Very well, Doctor. Huh? Doctor? Well, how does that sound to you, dear? You, you like me to call you a doctor? Yeah, but you better call one for yourself, too. <laughs> what's, uh, what's this all about? Well, I sent your handwriting in to be analyzed, and you're in the wrong business. You have the hands of a surgeon. What? Your handwriting has revealed the inner you, the real George Burns. You were never meant to be an actor. That's why people laugh at you. <laughs> Become a surgeon. Put on a mask and he'll stop laughing. Gracie, you have to go to school to be a doctor. You have to go to school for eight years. Well, then you're practically a doctor. You've already gone to school for seven years. Now, look, just because some handwriting expert said that I was supposed to be a doctor, that doesn't make it so. Oh, I took no chances, George. I checked it to make sure. Checked it? How? By numerology. Oh, well, that makes it authentic, yeah. Well, sure. You see, your name, G-E-O-R-G-E, and doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R, both have six letters. That means you vibrate with a doctor. There are also six letters in D-A-N-C-E-R. Suppose I vibrate with a dancer. Well, you better not let me catch you. <laughs> Gracie, listen to me. Even if all this hokum were true, I couldn't become a doctor now. I'm too old. How old are you? I'm ten years older than you are. Since when is 29 too old? <laughs> I'm too old to go to school. But think of the thrill of being a great doctor. Mm. I can see you now performing a delicate operation. Maybe a brain operation. Maybe on me. If I thought there was a chance of that, I'd go to school. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, a few months of schooling and you'll be a great doctor. Why, you can be John Brother Hopkins. <laughs> Forget it, honey. Show business is my racket. Listen. Oh, how do Mr. and Mrs. Audience? It is now my time to perform, and I'll present to you a little review in style, originality, and form. That's what I've been giving people for years. Well, so now become a doctor and make them well. <laughs> Gracie, I've tried to be patient and explain things to you. Now I've had enough. Understand? Yes, dear. I don't want to hear any more about this doctor business. Yes, dear. I'm going down to the cigar store. Goodbye. Goodbye, doctor. Oh, no. <laughs> I knew George wouldn't go for it, Gracie. Oh, Blanche, I still say all he needs is to have his doctor instinct aroused. And that's why I dropped by. I'm on my way to the hospital. The hospital? Well, I'm going to offer George his services. Once he gets inside and smells the ether, boom. <laughs> you mean he'll be like a bird dog who smells a bird? Yeah, or a police dog who smells the police. <laughs> then he'll go to school and become a doctor. Oh, I'll be so proud of him. 
Gracie, doctors are wonderful, but I don't think George will ever be one. He will, too. Oh, I can see him now, dashing around in his delivery trunk, delivering babies. <laughs> Relieving suffering. Giving tall people hypos and short people low pose. <laughs> you know, George might even discover a new germ. Oh, Gracie. Well, they discover new ones every day, like that germ that makes people drunk. What germ makes people drunk? Streptococcus. <laughs> Gracie, George couldn't even be a witch doctor. He could, too. You just bring him a sick witch. <laughs> well, I'll see you later, Blanche. I've got to get to the hospital. <laughs> May I help you? Oh, how do you do? Um, this is the largest hospital in town, isn't it? Yes, this is the general hospital. Well, I'd like to speak to the head man. Is the general in? <laughs> There's no general here. Oh, well, then I'll speak to the private. There's no private either. There must be. His name is right on that door. Private Ward. <laughs> Miss. If he's busy, I'll talk to someone even lower. Lieutenant. We have no military personnel here. Perhaps I can help you. Well, um, I want to offer my husband services. Is he a doctor? Well, he's going to be. That's why I want him to work here. I see. Has he taken medicine? Tons of it. Uh, perhaps you'd better talk to Dr. Powell. He's the hospital superintendent. You'll find him in the experimental laboratory down the hall. Thank you. How's your experiment coming along, Dr. Powell? Well, I've gone as far as I can, Dr. Reynolds. I've tested the serum on guinea pigs and monkeys, but I, I can't find a man to volunteer for a test. Exactly. What will the serum do? Well, if it works, you live to be a hundred. And if it doesn't? No one knows. That's why I can't get a volunteer. I've advertised in the paper. I've offered money. There doesn't seem to be any man brave enough to risk it. Maybe you can find a condemned criminal who... I'm in. Uh, Dr. Powell? Yeah? I'd like to offer my husband services. Ah, at last, a volunteer. <laughs> you can use them, huh? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, sit down and let's fill out these vital statistics. Name? George Burns. Sex? Oh, but I know what that is. Well, you should. You're a doctor. <laughs> uh, yes. What's his height? Uh, five feet eight, or five feet ten after a poker game. Five feet ten after a poker game? Well, he tiptoes in so I won't hear him. I see. Wait. Now, I'm not sure what it is now. Sometimes he weighs as little as 140 and sometimes as much as 170. Well, I'll, uh, I'll put it somewhere around the middle. Oh, good. That's where he puts most of it. Uh, where was he born? In New York. He was raised on Pitt Street. I see. He grew up on the east side. He's no freak. He grew up on both sides. Yeah. Now, one question about his physical condition. Are his nerves steady? Mm, I, I don't know. The rest of him wobbles quite a bit. Well, I'll, I'll substitute another question. How long has he been married to you? Fifteen years. Steady nerves. <laughs> Mrs. Burns, send your husband right over. We'll be waiting for him. Oh, all right. Uh, just one thing, Doctor. 
Be sure to let him smell plenty of ether. Well, I really prefer to give him some local anesthetic. Well, I don't care where it's made. Just give him plenty of it. <laughs> Gracie, I just had to run by and see how your plan to make George a doctor is working out. Oh, I thought you'd be anxious to hear about it, Glenn. Oh, sure. I'm all ears. Well, don't worry. When George is a doctor, he'll trim them down for you. <laughs> and that won't be long now. I got him a job at the general hospital so he can smell the ether. What kind of a job? Well, I don't know. It's in the experimental laboratory. Well, gee, that's where they work with microbes and bacteria. I hope George doesn't bring any home. Oh, Blanche, you know he wouldn't steal. <laughs> well... What will George say about this job? Oh, I won't tell him about the job. I'll trick him into going to the hospital, and his instincts will do the rest. Well, you better start tricking. Here he comes up the walk. Now, watch how I handle him, Blanche. Hello, dear. Hello, George. Well, aren't you going to speak to Blanche? Oh, sure. Ah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Well, as I was saying, Blanche, this doctor wanted George to sing at the general hospital, and I said, well, doctor, he hasn't got time Wait a minute, wait a minute. The general hospital? Sing? Me? No, no, please, dear. I'm talking to Blanche. So I said, my husband is much too busy to sing at a hospital. Why hold it, hold it. Hmm? Somebody wanted me to sing and you turned them down? Yes, yeah. Dr. Powell called from the general hospital. He seems to think your singing would help the patient. Well, he's right. I've been writing her a letter. To Virginia where I'm at it. And now I feel better because I know I'm going home. You see, Gracie, a voice like mine is soothing. It, it eases pain. It's like a shot of morphine. You're not kidding. Who's <laughs> a morphine? When George gets to the hospital, they'll have a real dope. Yeah. Now, where'll I find a Dr. Powell? Well, in the experimental laboratory. Well, don't expect me back until late. I'll probably do about eight or nine of my routine. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm writing her a letter. Oh, you know, I hated to trick him, Blanche, but it's worth it. Someday he'll be a great surgeon. That'll be the first time a ham ever did the carving. <laughs> Have you got my serum ready, Dr. Reynolds? Yes, Dr. Powell. Good. Mr. Burns should be here soon. Gee, I can't understand why a married man would be willing to take such a risk. I can. I talked to his wife. <laughs> well, if he shows up, he's the bravest man I've ever seen. Why, this serum could... Come in. Dr. Powell? Yes? I'm George Burns. Understand you want me for a little routine. Ah, did you hear that, Dr. Reynolds? What a magnificent understatement. Ah, you're a brave man, Mr. Burns. Well, I used to get nervous, but uh, I'm an old hand at this. I've been through the mill. Yes, you do look like you've been used frequently. <laughs> yeah, I'm a veteran. I can do anything. Well, I think you'll find today's job a little different. That's right, Mr. Burns. You're taking the place of Powell's guinea pigs. That's okay. I once took the place of Madame Burkhardt's cockatoos. <laughs> That's the time I laid an egg. Hey, you can do anything. I whistle, too, you know. <laughs> well, before we start, let's check your condition. Uh, Dr. Reynolds, would you take his pulse down? Certainly. One, 
Do we have to bother with this? I'm raring to go. Oh, we admire your spirit, Mr. Burns, but you must realize that you might die. Not with my material. <laughs> well, of course, we do have hope. Hope? You better put me on ahead of him. He's tough to follow. <laughs> oh, what a man, jesting at a time like this. Two? By the way, Doctor, where do we do this at? Oh, right here in the experimental laboratory. It's our largest room. Good, good. I like a big audience. Is it all right with you if all available doctors and nurses watch the performance? Sure. Be glad to hand them a thrill. I'm writing her a letter. Mr. Burns. <laughs> I'm a matter, Mr. Burns. And now I feel better, because I know I'm going home. <laughs> Mr. Burns, we can postpone this if you're in pain. <laughs> I feel great. Three... Three already? <laughs> I must be nervous. My pulse is fast today. <laughs> Hi, Gracie. How come you're going in the hospital? Oh, hello, Bill. I'm going in to visit George. What's the matter with him? Oh, he isn't a patient here. He's inside smelling the ether. What for? Well, I'm trying to get him out of radio. Well, that won't do it. He's still in radio, and he's been smelling up the ether for years. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. You, you don't understand. You see, George is meant to be a doctor, so I got him a job in the experimental laboratory. Come on in and see him. Oh, okay, Gracie. I love to go into hospitals, you know. I, I always catch something. You like that? Well, sure. You ought to see the nurse I caught yesterday. <laughs> well, come on. Let's go. Just a moment. Where are you going? Well, we're going to the experimental laboratory. I'm sorry. They're about to conduct an experiment. You can't go in now. But it's important. I have strict orders. No one admitted to the laboratory but doctors and nurses. Oh, did you hear that, doctor? Uh, yeah. Yeah, come on, nurse. Wait a minute. Are you a doctor? Oh, sure. Dr. Goodwin, Hollywood's fastest operator. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you operate? Well, mostly in Griffith Park. <laughs> Griffith Park? Yes, he does a lot of cutting up there. <laughs> Come on, Doctor. One moment, Mr. Goodwin. I've seen you around this hospital before. You were chasing one of our young nurses. Oh, well, yes, I, uh, I wanted to have a consultation with her. That's ridiculous. The girl was just a beginner. She'd had no experience. Oh, no, then why did she run? Yes. <laughs> Come on, doctor. Just a minute. I can't believe that he's a doctor. I doubt if he'd know a sore throat from a maternity case. Oh, you're wrong. Ma maternity cases are his specialty. Well, just yesterday, he cured a man who had a very bad case of maternity. <laughs> What she means is that this expectant father was very nervous, you see. The poor guy was pacing the floor saying, Will it be a boy or a girl? Will it be a boy or a girl? Then I walked out and handed him that little gift from heaven. And when he saw what it was, he cried, Hallelujah, just what I wanted. What was it? A cup of Maxwell House coffee. <laughs> yeah, I always give it to anxious fathers. There's nothing like a steaming, fragrant cup of delicious Maxwell House to set you right. But what about the man's wife? 
What did she have? Well, she had a cup of Maxwell House, too. <laughs> Everybody gets it who's a patient of Dr. William Goodwin, MMB. MMB. Manizales, Medellin, Book a Reminder. <laughs> you see, Maxwell House is a blend of choice Latin American coffees, radiant roasted to the peak of flavor perfection. Good to the last drop. Mr. Goodwin, I've heard enough. You're not a doctor, and you can leave this hospital. Oh, come on. Let us go into the experimental laboratory. We just want to see my husband, Mr. Burns. Why, he's the man who's being experimented on. They're giving him a new serum. And if it works, he'll live to be a hundred years old. Oh, well, gee, no wonder they picked George. They won't have to wait long to see if it works. <laughs> well, I'll be running along, Gracie. Tell hello for me. But did you, did you say they're experimenting on Mr. Burns? Yes. Dr. Powell is making a guinea pig out of him. Well, I've got to stop him. I don't want a husband who oinks. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't disturb the experiment. Well, Mr. Burns, we're just about ready to begin. <clears throat> well, how is his pulse count, Dr. Reynolds? I'm still taking it. Seven. <laughs> That will be enough. Our audience is assembled, so let's get started. Uh, Mr. Burns, will you remove your clothes? Uh, that's not the kind of act I do, Doc. You should have gotten Gypsy Rose Lee. Ah, oh, what courage. Joking right up to the last minute. Ah, uh, Mr. Burns, time is short. Take your clothes off. Well, do I have to? Yes. Well, okay, if you insist, but... Uh... Shouldn't we save that for a sock finish? <laughs> I can't top that with ain't misbehaving. Uh, what? Look, let me routine it for you, Doc. I'll open like this. Ain't misbehaving all by myself. Ain't misbehaving. I'm happy on the show, baby. Mr. Burns. You want to talk to Mr. Burns, my love? Oh, baby, love you. Really, save a love you. I know. Well, then I'll go into my Frisco step. I brought my derby hat. Mr. Burns, remove your clothes. Well, okay, but at least give me a fan. Mrs. Burns, I've explained that you cannot go into the experimental laboratory and interrupt Dr. Powell. But it's my fault that my poor husband is in there. He doesn't know what he's getting into. I have strict orders. Oh, 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 oh my appendix. Quick, take me to Dr. Powell. He won't remove your appendix. He already did. I want to put that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that won't get you in No, huh? Oh, oh, let me go in there quick I'm going to have a baby In the experimental laboratory? Well, yes, this is my first one And it's, a, it's an experiment This is very It's no use Well, look Tell the doctor to give me the serum. I love George. I, I can't let anything happen to him. Let me take his place. Dr. Powell. Yes, a shame it didn't work out. Well, don't let one failure discourage you. I'll try again, Dr. Reynolds. Oh, Dr. Dr. Powell. Oh, hello, Mrs. Burns. Is, is it over? Yes, yes, it's all over. How is my husband? Mrs. Burns, I, I hate to tell you this, but... But, but... but what? Your husband is as nutty as a fruitcake. Did you give him the serum? No, we couldn't catch him <laughs> He's in there running around with nothing on but a derby hat singing Ain't Misbehaving <laughs> oh. oh my goodness, he is 
crazy. He looks awful in a derby hat. <laughs> oh, I, I better take him right home. <laughs> Good night, dear. Happy dreams. Oh. George, you're mad at me because I try to make you a doctor. Oh, how can I stay mad? You did offer to take my place when you found out the experiment was dangerous. Well, sure, I love you. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't love me so much if I were a doctor. Their wives get no romance. No burning kisses? No, sir. Doctors don't have time for that. All a, all a, all a doctor's wife gets is a fast peck on the cheek. Well, then I'm glad you're an entertainer. Good night, dear. Good night. Judge, kiss me again. Okay. Good night, doctor. Well, Gracie, next week, our guest star will be that sensational movie menace, Richard Widmark. Richard Widmark? Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, that's the kind of part I'd like to play, a heartless killer. George, with a, with a movie star here next week, I'll need a new outfit. Oh, yeah? I'll try and get it, huh? <laughs> You're talking to a big man. A killer. I'll give you nothing. George, buy me a new outfit. Yes, dear. Good night. <laughs> Until next Thursday, when we'll have as our guest Richard Whitmark. Good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Challenge of the Yukon, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.